Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Genesis chapter 1 I'm going to read verses 26 through 28, and then if you want to flip over, you can see Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. If you're visiting here, it's our custom and tradition to honor God's Word by standing. If you want to stand as we read together to honor the Word of God, all of the formalities and celebrations are behind us, everybody, this kind of Mentally, the way I am, turn the page. We're looking into God's Word. I'm going to say something I say often or maybe somewhat frequently. The book that I am reading from that many of you are holding in your hand is absolute truth. It either is truth or it's worthless. It's either inspired by God or it's pointless. There is no room for picking and choosing what we like about it and what we don't like about it. In the same way that if we break one law, we break them all, according to Scripture, if we deny any of it, we are denying it. If we don't believe any of it, we don't believe any of it. That makes sense? What's wrong, not just with our country, but what's wrong with the church today, the church of God that's supposed to be, as the old song said, onward Christian soldiers, what's wrong is many of them don't believe the handbook, the instruction manual. And so today, I want us to be reminded that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's good for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, correction, and instruction in all righteousness. And in the book of Genesis, we will read right now something that is revolutionary If only the world would believe it, but I'm not responsible. I can't argue with the world, the antichrist world who doesn't believe the word of God. I can argue and I can fuss all day at the church who says they're born again, but doesn't practice what it clearly teaches. And what's in Genesis chapter one, the portion we're going to read in Genesis chapter two, if the church believes it, and acts on it will make a difference in the world that we live in. I'm not here today to tick off moms. Honestly, I mean, I like to argue and fight. Don't get me wrong. But that's not my goal today. I thought about this. I prayed about this. I kind of stressed over this. But I want us to see today from God's word clearly his plan his instructions for his very first institution, the family. And it's found in the very beginning. No oddity, no coincidence that God included it in the beginning. Sets the stage for everything else to come. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. This is not the message, but we're supposed to eat meat. (laughs) And vegetables. All right, okay. Except there's no PETA fans here. But PETA is anti-Christ, according to this. So God created man in his own image, verse 27, in the image of God created he him, 
Here you go. Male and female created he them. Now I got spare time. I actually did word studies on male and female and woman and man this week. I did just to make sure I was right. And they mean exactly what it sounds like he means. Man and woman. I could go into great detail. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, I will tell you this. You can, you can do the work for yourself. There's a distinct difference in the definition of man and woman. Even in the Greek and Hebrew. It gets a little, I wouldn't even share some of the definitions after you go back to the root words for female. But it makes it clear that it's different than male. Some of you want to know, but just, just do your own research. I'm serious. It, it kind of surprised me. I was like, I can't say that in church. But, and God blessed them. That's important. But God blessed them individually, blessed them corporately, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it. It's under our authority. And have dominion. You realize God said that the earth is under the dominion and authority of mankind? We, we cut down trees back there, and we had people on social media crying because the squirrels were losing their home. <laughs> Did y'all know that? That really happened. God said we can cut down whatever tree we want to cut down. <laughs> Come on, it says. You know what? I'll stop. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the fish and sea, of the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through 24. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord uh, God had taken from the man, he made a woman. Bill Jolly back in Bible in 1980 used to say um, he called man, he called woman, woman because man saw her and he said, whoa, man. But that's how you can remember that. But notice what happened and God brought her unto him. God brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, since all this has happened, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you bless it. I pray, pray you open our hearts and minds to your word. May we not just be hearers, but be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. It's important to understand that God Himself established three institutions. It's in Scripture. Three institutions that we, the world, still practice today. Government is one of them. Not here to talk politics today. A lot of you will allow the enemy to influence your mind in the next 10 to 15 minutes to say, here he goes again, he's talking about politics. What I'm talking about today, what we're reading in the word of God is not politics. What has happened in America today is the enemy has convinced some Christians, some churchgoers to believe if we happen to talk about anything that's scripture that is legislative in any way, it becomes politics and we shouldn't talk about it. Many of the issues that your senators, your representatives, both state and federal, who are voting for today or voting against today are not simply legislations. They are biblical issues that have fleshed themselves out in the capitals. And the enemy would have you to believe as a Christian, hey, now, just think about the, the, the silliness of this. What God is talking about in the very first book, the family, the institution of the family, which we got long before the Constitution, I'm a fan of the Constitution, by the way, which we got long before presidents, which we got long before kings, the family took priority over all legislation on the earth 
kind of was the first legislation of the family. And for a believer of this book to say, oh, once it gets to the capital, we got to stop talking about it. That's ridiculous. That and a plethora of other issues are happening today, and the church is saying, oh, well, we got to stop talking about that because it's politics. Last time I'll say that P word, I think. This is not politics. This is doctrine. This is theology. And it comes straight from God's word. Government was set up by God. That ought to tell us a lot about government and our role in the government. If God established the government, then we ought to be a part of the government. We ought to pray for the government. We ought to vote. If God established the church, we ought to be a part of the local church. God established the local church. But the third, which we're here today to talk about, is the family, which was established before any other institution in Scripture from the very beginning. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things today that will either cause people to swallow real hard or to amen out loud or to owe me or to bump their neighbor. But what I'm, what I'm teaching and preaching today is the truth from God's Word. I have prayed, God, don't let me be mean and say something I shouldn't. Don't let, the, I'm serious, I've prayed, God, don't let this be motivated by my own aggravation, but by your Holy Spirit to teach us, to encourage us, to motivate us. There's a couple realities that we find in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is really hard for me not to be sarcastic with some of this. One reality that we see in the very first two chapters of the book of the Bible is that there are two genders. Genesis 1:27, we read it. God created man in his own image. He created them male and female. And I've already told you, I did the work for you. It means what it says it means. Two different genders, two different sexes. And that's all there are. God created them, male and female. That's it. That's, that's illustrated and taught to us in the first two chapters of the Bible. We're also taught in these first two chapters that the union of what we call marriage is to be between a woman and a man, a man and a woman. That's what it teaches. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. In the marital world, in the premarital counseling world, we know this as leave and cleave. It's the principle of leave and cleave. And when we have premarital counseling, sometimes that gets into some discussion. I'll leave that up for your own, you know. In honor of Mother's Day, some mothers don't want their baby to leave. I'll just leave it there. I'll leave it there. And the men find out real quick what to say and what not to say that's honoring to their mother or not, or mother-in-law in that case. But I'm not, leave and cleave. Leave parents, father and mother. Those words mean something. Father and mother mean something. They're not the same. Have y'all heard the most revolutionizing word in the 21st century? Y'all ready for this one? I hope you've heard it. I hope you've done some research on it pregnant person. That's what we're supposed to be saying today. Pregnant person. Not supposed to say pregnant woman because a pregnant man might be hurt. <laughs> Therefore, he shall leave father and mother, cleave to his wife. And they become one flesh. That's called union. They live together. They work together. They walk together. They fight occasionally, they're union, they're together. That's what we learn. We also learn something that was doubled down, I mean, I, I had it confirmed in biology class, that procreation is accomplished by a man and a woman. Now, parents, don't get too nervous, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not here to teach that lesson. It's your job. But that's the only way it happens. It's the only way it happens. Even in 21st century technology and biomedics, um, we, can, we can make stuff happen, but it still takes a man and a woman. 
does. And it always will. There will be a pregnant man one day. There have been some already trying. They got bigger problems than their belly, I promise you. But even when it happens, it will not be natural and it will also have taking, taken a man and a woman to do it. They're going to do it as sure as the world. There's going to be a, a male kangaroo walking around here with a baby in his pouch at some point and then and soon. And he's going to be on every talk show that some of y'all watch. I can see him on the few now. I can see them celebrating and having a parade for him. But I bet you they won't show the delivery live. <laughs> you know why it won't happen the way it's supposed to happen? It can't happen. Quit believing this garbage. It can't happen. Because God established man and a woman, the union together, and that's how babies come. Or storks in some people's points of view, but... God failed to include that in Genesis, but just in case. So I want us to look at some realities of this first institution by God. First of all, we see some instructions. And those of you taking time and worried about it, because last week we got out about six, we, it's all right, relax. Instructions from God's word. Here's, here's the best news I could give you as a church, as a believer, and really as a human. The best I can give you is God clearly gave instructions for the family. Wouldn't it make sense that if God established an institution first and primary and had a high expectation for it, that he would give you the instructions for it? And he did. He did. God highlighted the seriousness of this union when Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter five. You hear it at weddings sometimes. Listen to what Paul is teaching to the church and he's talking about Jesus and the church and he uses marriage as an example. For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father, it sounds familiar, and shall be joined into his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, there's a different sermon, but Paul says in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, this is a great mystery. And everybody's been married for more than about six weeks says, this is a great mystery, right? <laughs> Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I'm not speaking about marriage. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. Now, listen to me. There's no greater truth no greater appreciation than Jesus and his relationship with the church. I went in to see this. And to Paul's audience, he uses marriage to clarify that picture. He doesn't use Jesus and the church to clarify marriage. The idea of marriage was so clear to the church. Take that note. They understood the importance of marriage. They understood leave and cleave. They understood what Paul says later, that you would lay down your life for your wife, that she would submit to him as unto the Lord. We're going to get there. We're going to get tuned in for that. They understood it. The church understood it. Listen, church, we ought to understand the principle of marriage. To be husband and wife, leave and cleave, love her like Jesus loves the church, Submit like you do to Jesus. They understood that. What they didn't understand was the relationship between Jesus and the church. And he used marriage to clarify that misunderstanding. Isn't that a perspective change? They're like, we don't understand this relationship between Jesus and the church. He said, let me, let me explain it to you. It's like a husband and wife. Because the marriage and the family was so established, they understood that more than they understood the relationship between Jesus and the church. You think that emphatically teaches the priority of marriage? Somebody say, mm-hmm, it's not a trick question. Yeah, I think it does. You're right on. As a husband would give his life for his wife, Jesus gave his life 
for the church, for the people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the explanation Paul is giving. Jesus gave his life for the church. He who knew no sin became sin for us that you and I might be made known the righteousness of God. He's teaching them the spiritual, the gospel, and he uses marriage as the example. I think we're in church, Baptist church. Most of us would at least grunt to the fact that the gospel's pretty important. There we go. And think of how important, what a priority the gospel is to the church. And Paul says, let me help you understand it. Marriage. I don't need to tell you the other side of this story because we're living in it. We're living through it. But I'm going to get there eventually. He gives instructions for the family. He gives instructions to the husbands and wives. He gives instructions to husbands and wives who become parents. And he gives instructions to children who have parents. Now, I know because I'm a man. If I get something I got to put together, what do I do? I need to see the picture on the box. Anybody else like that? Instructions? I just need to see the picture on the box. But occasionally I flip through the instructions. If there's more than three bolts, I probably need instructions. If the picture's not clear, I need it. Now think of how silly that example is to how difficult marriage and family is. Church, let's just take off the, let's just take off the suit clothes real quick. Take off the spiritual facade. Listen, marriage and family is tough. You got two sinners living together with their own opinions and neither one of them are ever wrong, right? Then you bring in two hellions into the family that are born corrupt and at enmity with God, headed to federal penitentiary, and you're gonna mix all that together and make something beautiful, right? It's tough. Anybody's gonna sit back and act like it's not tough, they're lying and we know it. We have bigger problems, we just add them to our prayer list. We were praying for your family, now we're praying because you're a liar. We know it, it's tough. And God knows it. God knows it's tough. He knows us. He knows us better than ourselves. He knows us better than our spouse. He knew it would be tough. So what did he do? He gave us instructions. He also gave us a picture. But he gave us instructions. He said, this is going to be hard, so hey, use these. Use these instructions, church. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm not going to go through all this for a couple reasons, time, and I don't want you to be mad on Mother's Day, but there's some instructions for husbands and wives, and I just alluded to it. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Oh, that's such a terrible word. Take it out of the wedding vows, please. You know why they want to take submit out of wedding vows today? If I ask 100 people, I'll get 100 different responses. I'm not submitting to some man. That's got to be, that's, that, God didn't mean that. No, God didn't mean it. As the church submits to Christ, so the wife should submit to the husband. Oh, ooh, just one was brave enough to say right. That's it's okay. We got a problem in the church. In marriage. And the reality is this. If a man is born again, y'all with me? I'm, I'm fixing marriages today, right? God really can fix your marriage. I'm not a fool most days of the week. And I understand there's a few in here that probably just about got divorced on the way to church. I mean, you may be signing the papers tomorrow. It could happen. You like what website was that he talked about? Twenty-four hours and twenty-nine ninety-five. 
it can happen, and it's, it's, it's true. If you're the one laughing, either you're a phony and it was you, or you're just excited that it wasn't you. So glory in it. But if a man's born again and living the way he's supposed to live, and his wife is born again and living the way she's supposed to live, she will have no problem submitting to his spiritual authority, and he will have no problem laying down his life for his wife. If a female, if a wife has problems submitting, it's one of two problems, or maybe two problems. He's not the way he's supposed to be, or she's not the way she's supposed to be spiritually with God. That's so simple. And I didn't read it in any book other than this one. No marriage and family books, except Christian ones, will tell you something similar to that. There's a problem. You're either lost and you're not submitting to God's word, therefore you're not submitting to the leader of your family, or you're saved and you're just living like the devil, or he is. I was waiting to see what the feedback was like before I went to the next point, but. (laughs) Isn't it interesting how, anybody ever go out to eat with your wife? Or your spouse? There we go. Now we're talking. Who has to make decision? He does. Eventually he has to make decision, right? And usually she submits to that decision. That's what, that's what makes it look right. So it can happen. That was my only example. It can happen. It is possible. After, I don't care, wherever you want to go, well, how about A, B, or C? No, I don't like any of those. Well, I thought that fell under, I don't care anywhere we go, but now it doesn't, so let's just keep moving. Right? I know how it works. Happened last night. Just don't look at her face. The problem is, in fairness, I make the decision, and then I kind of like, I don't think I want to go there. I just made the decision to make you happy and get this over with, and now I don't want to go there. But anyway, that's, that was my excuse. Now we've talked about it. We're good. <laughs> There's instructions for them. Listen, we, we live in a day, and I, I thought about this so much, and it's, I don't want to be silly with it, but um, you hear this phrase a lot, especially in the church, and I, I, I want y'all to enjoy this. If it stand up, good. If it helps, good. Just don't be mad. And don't be mad at him or her. I, I don't want to be in the middle of the fight on the way home. Use my name in vain. I knew we shouldn't have went there. I knew he was going to say something to make us mad. If that happens, y'all team up together and hate me together, and that makes you closer. Okay? There we go. You hear this phrase a lot. Please don't look at each other or do anything awkward when I say this, but well, she wears the pants in that family. And we all know what that means, right? I'm not trying to be facetious with this, but unfortunately, there's a lot of women in the church who wear the spiritual pants in the family. Now, I say that carefully because, quite honestly, there's some women who wear the spiritual pants because the men have never put them on. And I know this is to be the case, and sometimes the women say, you know what, if you're not going to put them on, I'm putting them on. And thank God for some moms who put on some spiritual pants and said, get out of bed, we're going to church. And yet your big, fat, careless daddy lay in there and go to hell. No, no, nobody ever said that. But I may have heard that a time or two. I don't know. It just resonated there. But thank God for some moms who took the initiative and said, hey, I'm going I'm to drag my kids to church. Some of you are here doing it today. The church is filled with women who have no husbands by their side Sunday after Sunday. 
And so they had to. And I'm, I'm being honest. I've thought about this. I prayed about what I'm about to say. And there's some men who don't want to put on those pants. To be honest, they might not fit. And they might need to get in the spiritual shape God wants them to be in and the pants will fit a little better. Y'all with me? We've all put on pants that didn't fit. Some of us got jeans a little too tight. Get a little better shape, they go on better. And they're still a little not the way you want them, but you got a pair that you put on in the morning, but if you wear them all day, they start to feel a little better. Y'all with me? I'm making a point. Men, get in spiritual shape. If the woman is in spiritual shape, she'll gladly give you the spiritual pants. And if you get to where you can fit in them, you'll get used to them. And if wife and husband are living the way they're supposed to live with their relationship with God, they'll fit just right and she'll tell you how good you look in them. That's God's plan for a wife submitting to a husband. Not, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to do it. You better look like this. You better have dinner ready. You better, that's not biblical submission. That's not what God's talking about. But I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from some experience. If she does cook dinner, she cooks it with a little better mood when you've been good, right? You don't hear so much stuff slamming around. <laughs> Letting you know dinner's being made right now. <laughs> There's instructions for parents when it's possible, when they have babies, to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He gives the instructions. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but train them up. Mirror. He's saying, let them follow you. Instructions for children. Now it's time for parents to say amen. Wake up. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Pretty simple, right? Once again, the relationship matters. If the parents are living the way they're supposed to live and they're in good spiritual shape with God, and a kid's born again and loves God, he has no problem obeying his parents. I have conversation after conversation, counseling after counseling with people themselves or a friend of somebody, and without exception, every situation ends up spiritual. Everyone, if they're born again people, there's a spiritual fix for it. Somebody slipped. Somebody's messed up. Somebody's not living right. But everybody wants another answer. Can I, can I get a fix other than the Bible? Can I get a fix other than I should have listened to the Holy Spirit? God gives instructions. I knew this truth before I knew it was in the Bible. That if you honor your father and mother, you'd live longer. I didn't know that was a verse in scripture. I just thought that was common sense. There are clear instructions from God's word. Because it's Mother's Day, I want point number two to be the influence of godly women. It's instructions from God's word, but then there's influence of godly women. I won't spend much time here. I know what time it is. You feel like you're having fun. I don't know if you are or not, but it's getting hot. <laughs> Mothers and grandmothers are a great influence to their children and grandchildren. All of us have examples, good and bad. Hopefully you got more good than bad. But influence matters found a Billy Graham quote about influence of a mother. Influence of a mother upon the lives of her children cannot be measured. That would be a quote good enough right there. 
They know and absorb her example and attitudes when it comes to questions of honesty, temperance, kindness, and industry, he said. Moms, you have influence, not just on your girls, but on your boys. Grandmothers, you got influence on your daughter, your son, your grandson, your granddaughter. And that influence will last forever. All of us, without exception, can give testimony of influence of moms and grandmothers in some way, shape, or form. I didn't say they were all Mother Teresa. I wrote in my notes, my mom illustration. <laughs> some of you knew my mom, so um, there's quite a few. But it's quite obvious that my mom had an influence on my life in many ways. I could give you some spiritual ones. Yes, she messed up. Yes, she made mistakes. She knew it and she owned it. In the last weeks of my mom's life, she told me multiple times, I know I messed up. I know I didn't do everything I should have done, but I tried my best. What, what, a, what an example that is, to be honest enough to say, I tried. Now, there were times, if I'm honest, that I don't think she wasn't trying too hard. <laughs> but I guarantee you she left an influence on my life. Some of you don't know her. Some of you do, and you're laughing. In my mom's prime fighting weight, she was my size, my height. My mom was 6'2 at one time, pulling in about 225. And um, that's tough to fight when you're a teenager and you're about 160. So to say she left an influence is quite an understatement. I had a messed up family. We know that. That's different. That's fun stories now. God is sovereign. He's in control. But I think about this. I had, a, I had a bad relationship with my stepdad. I loved him. I respected him. I do. Father's Day's coming. But um, he never really disciplined me, which was a great thing. I look back now, and it's like God, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I could tell you all that. But my mom had no problem with it. <laughs> and at 6'2", well, the, the, well in the weight range, she was strong, and she used it. And I thought about it, you know, just for fun, because I'll probably make some people mad. I'll tell a couple stories, but I don't have time to tell a couple. But um, she left an influence. To this day, my, my wife's probably going to laugh about this, because um, I like have this, um, it's not a phobia, but I get nervous when I hear people stomp. Like, I don't like that. There's something about that that just kind of makes me tense up. Um, I don't like to make noise when I walk myself. Like I, I walk around the house kind of like ballerina. Like, oh. I don't. It's funny. And my wife um, stomps. So that, anyway, that's different. I mean, it's like sometimes like I'll stop. So, but I think it's because my mom left an impression on me. There was a time we, uh, it snowed when it used to snow before global warming, and we went sledding on East 16th Street. No, that's not true. On Elm Street. We lived on Elm Street when Nightmare on Elm Street came out. That was an influence when your mom likes horror movies. But we did. It snowed. We want to go play, uh, playing, and we had to come in. I didn't like it. So I was mad, and um, I thought it was unfair. How dare she take us in from such snow? Now, if she had known the, the globe was warming and we'd never have snow again, she probably would have let us plays a little more, but she did. And she's like, get inside. And, um, this is back in the long John days. Um, when you used to wear long johns when it was cold, but now you replace that with t-shirts and tank tops. But I remember I had on a pair of long john pants. That was it. I'm in the bed. We had bunk beds. My son will like this story. And, um, he's heard it. And I had a little anger issue. And so I was upset and I was, um, trying to make my, myself I'm telling you too much. It's Sunday morning. I probably shouldn't tell you. Um, I used to have nosebleeds, 
and I uh, had to have the procedure back in the day. But I, I knew if I got mad enough, my nose would bleed. And I thought, you know, if I, if I got mad enough, my nose would bleed, and my mom would feel sorry for me and probably say, hey, put your clothes on, let's go sled. That was my thought. <laughs> so I had a bunk bed, and I'm up in the bunk bed, and A, I'm trying to make my nose bleed, and B, I'm trying to break the bed. I'm slamming my body back, bam, on the bed, hoping, literally, this is how I was thinking, hoping the bed would collapse and I'd go to the bottom. Get her attention. Once again, I'm thinking she'd come out. You know what? I was wrong. Let's go back out and let's play in the snow. I'm doing that. Coming down the hallway. None of what I hoped would happen happened at all. I'm not lying about anything I'm saying. She's not with us anymore. Time has passed. She couldn't be incriminated for this. By the time she got to the top bunk, she grabbed my ankle. And with one pull, I was on the floor. Quick. Within a few seconds, I was on the front porch with the door shut, with nothing on but my Lone John Bottoms. You want to go out in the snow? There you go. And um, then it gets pretty bad from there, so I'll stop. But moms, you leave an influence. You have an influence. I read some reports, some studies, and I did some math. This is, this is true from 2022. And it seems somewhat insignificant, but... I'm a math guy, so I ran some numbers because I thought it probably meant more than it sounded like. But from ages zero to six, moms spend 2.2 more hours a day with their children. From age seven to 12, moms spend one and a half more hours a day with their children. The formative years of their life, from zero to 12, moms spend more time with them. So, well, that don't sound like a lot. You know, some of you, some of you burly lumberjacks are saying, well, we got to work and go kill beef and all that stuff. But by age 12, doing the math, you can check it if you want to, with those few hours a day, a mom will spend 336 more days with their child than a dad. 338 to be exact. Nearly a full year a mom will spend with their child from zero to 12. What are we doing with the influence? Moms, what kind of influence are you having? Paul talks about it with Timothy when he says, hey, I know about your faith, your unfeigned faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice. He said, well, you're talking about moms a lot. Yeah, I am. It's Mother's Day, and many of us have moms and had moms and our moms and need to be an influence. But I think it's worth going the extra step and saying scripture is clear that women, ladies in the church have influence on other ladies. I could stop here and, and hang out for about 20 minutes, but I won't. I could call out names of people, but you as a church family, you know our ladies ministry is on top of it here. And one of the greatest things that's going on in our ladies' ministry is that they're investing in the younger generation of ladies. They're doing exactly what God said in Titus chapter number two. In Titus chapter two, you, you older ladies, you wise ladies, the aged ladies, I don't know if they'd rather hear aged or old, but aged ladies, you be in your behavior as becometh holy, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that you may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be blasphemed. Oh, well, that's time for part two of the sermon, right? You say all the other stuff was Old Testament. How about New Testament when Paul says, hey, you ladies, influence the younger ladies. How do you influence them? Teach them to be good wives. There we go, back to square one. Why? Because it's important. I know you're done, right? You look at it like you're done. And I'm not sure if that bothers me or not. But this is truth. This is truth. It's hard 
it's hard to get older because you start to sound like the previous preacher that you used to say, hey, I wish you wouldn't say that stuff. There's ever been a day some of our young girls need some influence from some older, wise, spiritual ladies. It's today. I could say a lot right now, but what I see makes me feel like a grandpa to say what I, what I see should not be happening. The way I see young, not of age girls dressed at school and even at church is not only unacceptable, I believe in God's eyes, it's an abomination. When he's asked us, and asked ladies especially, to help train them, and there's some words there that I could go back to in Titus. I know what, I know what happens there. And I know I got one. I'm going to throw myself out there on the line. If and when you see mine dressed like she shouldn't be dressed, I don't come up with a, with a yardstick or a ruler on me. I'll break it. I want you to call me on it. Because the burden's on me just like it's on you. The burden's on my wife just like it's on you, moms. I, I knew that would be the worst part. It's not opinions. It's in the word of God. Somebody's got to teach them what they're supposed to look like. They're supposed to dress like. But they're not supposed to dress like. I went to a school the other day and saw a high school girl that if she would have had nearly no pants on, I would have seen just the same amount of skin. And she had jeans all the way to her ankles. You say, how is that possible? I think she went on a swimming expedition with piranhas or something. I don't know. <laughs> but there was no front in the jeans, pretty much. That's out of dress code. I, I don't make friends usually doing that anyway, but I'm not going to tell her. You know what I'm thinking? Who in their right mind let her into school like that? You know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen while I'm just digging into this and burying myself? Somebody's going to get a dress code violation and some teacher's going to get fussed at. Or some principal's going to get fussed at. When it's some mama or daddy who let them out of the house like that that ought to be getting fussed at. That's where we're at. Your influence matters. Instructions from God's word influence of godly women, and I'm going to go out with a bang. Oh, that's, that wasn't a pun intended with the implosion of God's will. I use these words intentionally. We know God's will. We know God's instruction. We just read it, and I, I eliminated a lot of it to make you happy. I use the word implosion on purpose. First of all, God's will will never be destroyed. God's will is fixed for eternity. But man has corrupted God's will. You understand what I mean? I use the word implosion on purpose. Well, it's an I and it works. But the word implosion is different because it means to crumble or to collapse on the inside from outward pressure. Y'all with me? The will of God for the family is imploding, not because God's will changed or because he somehow is corrupt, but that the outside influence of the world we've allowed to damage and in some cases collapse the family. God's will is clear. Husbands, wives, men, 
marry women, and when it's possible, have babies. That's clear. Some might say, amen, we're on, we're on, we're landing. Husbands are to lead their families spiritually. Amen. It's clear. Wives submit to the spiritual authority of their husbands. Amen. Children submit to godly instruction. Amen. That's God's plan. That's God's will. That will never change. It'll never change. Does the world want it to change? Yep. Are they changing it? Yep. Are they wanting you to change it? Absolutely. And now if you start to argue it, you get red flag. You got to watch that one. He's a bully. She's a fill in the blank. That's the world we live in. And what's happening is that outward pressure is causing some so-called Christians to cave and deny what God says about marriage and family. That's, that's where we're at. It took me a while to get there. We can't let it happen. Here's the thought. Devil put it in your mind or somebody back there, your flesh put it in your mind. I can't do anything to change that. Yeah, yeah, you can. Don't cave. Don't cave. Why? Just stubborn? No. You're a Christian. You believe the Bible. You believe what God says about the family. Yeah, I, I loved it. I'm, I, man, I know my mind. I go out and I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever thought in my life. You could ever... I can go that route. What kind of person would believe this? I can go that route. It's easy to go that route. That's exactly where my DNA takes me. But here's the route we can all take. God said man and woman. God said husbands and wives. That's why I believe it, and I'm just going to live that way. People, are, people in the church are worried that they don't have the appropriate apologetics to argue with someone who is LGBTQIA. Like, what do I say? I don't know. Here's what you say. I'm a Christian. I believe the word of God is absolute truth. I believe God is sovereign. I believe he's in control. And I believe that God created male and female and his plan is for them to be together for life and when possible, make babies. Oh, well, that's just, just so divisive. Well, unfortunately, it might be, but that's who we are. That's what we believe, or we don't. If you were to look, I'm sad to say I had to look up what those letters mean. And they add them weekly. I'm serious. I'm a, this is going to sound mean. If you're offended, I'm sorry. I have, and many of you have, lived with and have family members who are one of those letters. Just to be honest, we are, we have, I'm there, I'm there. I told you one of, one of my gay cousins thinks I'm hot and I don't understand how that works. <laughs> and she's a girl, I ain't figured that out. She always talks about how good looking I am. When I see her like, well, you good look, you get better looking every time I like, dude, what's wrong with this picture? I don't understand, but I don't, I can't figure it all out. I'm just saying. I know what those letters mean. I know what they say they mean. Now, within the community, they're not all agreeing. This is true. I'm not making this up. They don't all agree on what the A means at the IA now. Some say it means um, asexual. I learned that in biology. Um, and some say it means ally. Which it's all-inclusive. The Q means something that you used to get in trouble if you said in school. Now they own it. Copyright, trademark. And... The reason why is it covers everything. I did the research. I'm not making this up. I'm not up here just spouting out opinions. You can do the research. You can find out what every letter means, but I'm going to tell you something that according to God's word is absolute truth. Everything, every gender, every trans, every opinion, every lifestyle that the letters represent, every one of them, is detrimental 
to God's family. His first institution. His foundational institution. His foundational institution that upon which all other institutions exist. If there is no family, there is no government. If there is no family, there is no church. If there is no family, there is no country. Say, well, how do, how do I? This is the tough part. I'm, I'm trying to help us. I hope, I've, I hope we've landed right in the middle of where we are after 40 minutes. Because that's where we're at. We can bury our head in the sand. We can pretend it's not happening. We can sing Kumbaya and play good you know, 90s music or whatever it takes to calm your mind. But this is where we're at as a church. And there's a strategy from the enemy himself to destroy your family, my family, and God's ideal of a family. He'll do anything he can. His best tool, please don't take this personal, his best tool is a bunch of professing Christians who cave to the world. What am I supposed to do? Live it. Preach it. Live it. Did I say live it? Let me say it. Live it in front of the world. Thought about this. In a couple, several months, um, we're going to go to Israel. We're going to take a group to Israel. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. It's a little different than going to South Carolina. But um, you go to Israel, they're going to know you're not from there. Y'all with me? I mean, unless you bring your garb and put some curls in the side, they're going to know you're not from there. And most of us will walk around just like a, just like a tourist. We'll have our cameras on, right? But we'll, have, we'll probably have a little book. They'll actually give us a book. It's called Walking Where Jesus Walked. It's fun. And we'll be walking around like this. And there will be no confusion that we don't belong there. Everybody with me? Oh, I think he might be an Orthodox Jew. Look at the way he's dressed in that book he's got. Nobody will be confused and think you're a citizen of Jerusalem. I'm going somewhere with this. I hope you know. Why? Because you're not from there. I'm not from there. I don't dress like I'm from there. I don't carry the same books they carry there. I feel a little different there. Y'all with me? Church, when we walk around this country, we walk around with a different book. We look different. We talk different. We act different. We believe different. And the reality is, we're just a pilgrim. This is not where we belong. We're a citizen of two countries. I love America. Support America. Fight for America. I've stocked up in case I have to fight for America. But this is not my home. I'm a citizen of another country. And we play by a different handbook. We have a different instruction manual. And when we walk around with it, and we live by it, and we look to see what, what site are we at right now, and we use it to guide us, People will see they don't belong here. They're different. That's what we're called to be. Different. We're a unique, peculiar generation. We don't play by the same rules. We don't have the same instructions. We don't have to be mean, but we don't have to cave to the garbage. We don't have to be bullies but we don't have to be allies. Ooh, he said that word? I thought we were supposed to be allies. No, no. Look up the definition. I ain't an ally. I'll be your friend. I'll love you. I'll pray for you. I'll give you a car a jumpstart if you need it. I won't outcast you, but we're not on the same team. Because I don't serve the same person you serve. But I love you. I'll support you. If you need help, I'll help you. 
This is where we're at. God loves his family. God prizes his family. This is the very first creation. It's the institution of the family. If you're a mom or dad who's trying your best with the Holy Spirit's help to do it right, God bless you. Students, children, teenagers, if you're still awake and listening, if you've got a mom or dad that cares about you, you better thank God for them. When I was a youth pastor, occasionally I tried my best to give parents heart attacks. And here's how I did it. I talk about this stuff. I talk about respecting and honoring your parents. I talk, I'd be real about the fact that they're not perfect and you're not either. And I would tell them this, go home and then the next week, sometime before next Wednesday, tell your mom and dad you love them and you appreciate them. That was my, I wanted to see if somebody had a heart attack. <laughs> I didn't just say it, I meant it. Parents, thank you for standing where you ought to stand. And if we're honest, there's some of us that are a little weaker than we ought to be. We don't know how to handle this. And I hope, with God's help, I just gave you some help how to handle where we're at. Would you stand with me? I appreciate your attention. I knew we were going to do a lot today. We have no service tonight. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your mom. If you have a mom or grandmother. Some of you got friends and aunts and whatever that feels like a mom. Let them know you care. Appreciate them. Church, we're in a war. We're in a battle. I just want to pray and close out the service with prayer. If you're mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, I'm not going to ask you to come make a big scene, fill the altar, unless you want to. I'm going to ask you when we pray to pray. Call on God to help you be the parent, the grandparent, the influence you ought to be. Whatever that means. That means casting off some things that don't need to be there. It means getting some things right. I'm going to ask you to do that. You and him. If you're here today and you've never been born again, even in the family, there's a picture of the gospel. Christ loved the church, died for it, died for you died for me. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved trusting in the Christ of the church. If we're going to make a difference in this country, if we're going to make a difference in this church, if we're going to make a difference in our community, it's going to be parents and families making a difference, believing and acting on what Jesus said. Father, thank you for your word that's so clear. God, I know it's not easy, but it's clear. If we're honest, there are parents, spouses, families in this room today who are struggling. God, they're blaming each other. They're blaming other sources or influence. And the reality is they just need to come to you. They need to get their personal lives right with you before they can have a relationship that you would be pleased with. I pray for families. I pray for parents who are struggling with teenagers, with kids to do right. You would give them the boldness and courage to say to that son or daughter, I'm, I'm sorry, I've messed up. I'm sorry, I haven't, we haven't been faithful to your word, to the word of God, and we haven't taught you the way we should. And just be honest and open and say, but as for this day on, we're gonna do things right. pray that parents would be honest, get the help they need. I pray for students, for children in this room who are struggling. Maybe they're believers, but they're just being influenced so much by the world and it's tough that they would call on you for the strength that they need. God, I pray every mom in this room 
feels honored today, not by us, but by their family. God, you'd bless them for their faithfulness to serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I love Joshua 24, 15. Y'all know it. Every dad, it's not Father's Day, um, but it's coming. This is where we're at today. This is where we'll be in a year from now. This is where we'll be 10 years from now. Joshua's leading not just the country, but leading his family. Y'all know this? And the people were rebellious. People were trying to do their own thing. People were influenced by outside ungodly forces and sources. This is where it's at. And Joshua gives this speech. I love it. You've heard me say it before. I love it. This is what some men, some daddies, and some women, some mamas, some grandparents need to do with God's help. I'm going to paraphrase it. This is in the RNV, right? The redneck version. He says, if y'all want to serve the gods of the Amorites, whom our fa- or the gods that our father served, do it. If you want to serve the gods of the Amorites from whose land we're in, these ungodly pagans, you can do it. In other words, you can serve whoever you choose to serve. He says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's time to start serving the Lord. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.